Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav v'tivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Veharevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka, befinu ufi amka b't Yisrael, v'niye anaknu v'etze etzeinu v'etze etzei amka b't Yisrael, kulanu yodei ha'shemeka velom de Torateka lishma. Baruch atah Adonai hamlamed Torah le'amo Yisrael. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Well, I want to say that Purim is coming up. It is currently Parsha Tetzave, and we're quickly moving into Parsha Kitisa. And these two Torah portions are so closely connected because they are happening during the time of Purim, and they both have very, very intricate connections. So without further ado... We're going to get into that, and let's talk about Purim, because if you read the book, yes, the book of Esther, uh, in antiquity, and even now, it's still known as the scroll of Esther, the Megillah. So if you ever hear the reading of the Megillah, it's typically Esther. Uh, it is interesting to note that there are five Megillot, and, uh, which means five scrolls. And if you look at uh, what those are, they are Shir Hashirim, which is the Song of Songs by Melech Shlomo, King Solomon. Then you have Ruth, which is Ruth in Hebrew. And then you have Eka, which is commonly known as Lamentations. Then you have Kohelet, which is Ecclesiastes. And then you have, oh, while we're on Kohelet, it's interesting to note the word Kahal is the root of Kohelet, which means congregation or assembly. Yes, you've thought it and you've guessed it. This is what is commonly translated as church or ecclesia or um, iglesia in Espanol. And this word is actually Kohelet, which is uh, from the root kahal, which is all about the congregation and the assembly, which is if you note the writings of the Talmudim and the Shliach of Shaul, uh, because, you know, he wasn't one of the 12, but he was definitely a Shliach. So that's nothing to be taken lightly because we are all Shliach. I am a Shliach. Bezar Tashem, you are a Shliach. You know, we are sent with a mission. Uh, the reason I do these podcasts is because I study the truth and I seek to walk in it and I cannot be silent <laughs> because it's just too good. But anyway, uh, you'll notice that they write Igerot, which is letters to Kahals or Keholot, what would be a proper way to say that, to congregations. Uh, you have Corinth, you have Ephesus, you have uh, the Ivrim, which is the Hebrews, uh, and then you have uh, what uh, Colossi, Philippi, uh, and then you have the various places that are mentioned in the writings of Acts. So, yeah, so I mean, that's just to name a few. And then uh, Yochanan, who was one of the 12, he wrote uh, three letters of his own besides the gospel account. Then you have Kepha, who wrote two letters of his own. 
And then you have uh, the letter of Yaakov, which is James, who's the brother of Mashiach, literally slept in the same bed or in the same room at least. And then you have uh, Yehuda, the letter of Jude. And so when you think about the congregations, uh, these letters are all addressed to congregations, even in Acts chapter 15, which most people don't take time to read. But if you read it all the way through, you'll see that it's actually written to a various group of congregations about entry uh, commandments or observances to help people begin to enter into the faith of Israel, which is Torah, which is being like Abraham and Sarah. So when you think about all these things, uh, as far as that the letters go and the congregations, you have to think about what what is the point and what is the foundation because that's kind of a lost art today. People think congregations are churches that meet on Sundays or churches that meet in inner city suburbs and things like that because there's this idea that the church is not a building, it's the people. And it's like, wow, you're you're starting to get on the right track. But you got to understand what is the source text. The source is not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The source is not the writings of Paul. The source is the Torah. If one would read the whole entire Bible from front to back, you would understand that everything is based off of the first five books, which is called the Torah. There is Torah in every single book of the Bible. And it's important to note that the people who put together the Bible were people who were observant of the Torah. Now, that's a really crazy thing to say, because the second part of the Bible, which really is nothing new in there. So I don't know why it's called the second part, considering the historical fact, if you read the encyclopedia, that. We weren't sure which uh, canon of writings were going to be a part of what's called commonly called the New Testament because there were multiple different ones. And the only reason we have Matthew through Revelation is because of the printing press and the late 1500s around that time frame, which was when they decided we're going to go with this set. But it's important to note that Jews from all the way before then have gone with everything from Genesis through Malachi, which would be Bereshit through the Chronicles, actually, when you look at the Tanakh, because there's a certain way it's arranged. It's called the Tanakh, the Torah, the Navi'im, which is the prophets, and the Ketuvim, which is the writings. If you've ever heard this phrase, Kitve HaKodesh, that would mean the Holy Scriptures, which is another way to say Tanakh. People commonly call this the Old Testament today. And it's important to note the only reason it's called the Old Testament and not the Holy Scripture is because of a gentleman named Marcion, who said that there are two different gods. One was angry and one is all happy and sedated with happy pills, and he wants people to just love each other, even if it's at the expense of being homosexual and being idolatrous and changing the laws and forsaking the Torah, which is important because 
people who forsook the Torah and people who did all these other things that the New Testament theologies teach, that resulted in the destruction of two temples that resulted in the dispersion of the Jews from the land of Israel. So it's probably a good thing to know if we want to fix the problem and really have a true solution. It's not to be hippy dippy singing Kumbaya in the fields, picking lilies uh, with rainbow flags, but it is get back to what our father Abraham taught us. Many people say they believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but yet all they follow is the law of Paul. And that's only because they misunderstand Paul, just like Kepha, Peter, told us about. Kepha told us that people misunderstand the writings of Paul This is literally the last thing that he told us. If you go to the second letter of Paul, chapter three, start in verse 15. He says this, bear in mind that the patience of Adonai means salvation. Just as our dearly loved brother, Shaul Hashliak, Paul, also wrote to you with the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these matters in all of his letters. Some things in them are hard to understand. Can can I get a re- repetition there? Can it can we all say hard to understand? Okay, because I'll give you an example. Uh Whether you're circumcised, it doesn't matter. Or if you're circumcised, it doesn't matter. What matters is the commandment. That's in Corinthians. I'm going to go ahead and source that out so that I don't be considered sources hatred. Uh, Stand by. It is in Corinthians. Boom, 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 boom. Stand by. This is a common verse, so uh, I should have already had this queued up. But First uh, Corinthians seven nineteen. Okay, this is a letter to the congregation, the Kahal in Corinth. He says in chapter seven, verse nineteen: Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. How many of you know that circumcision is a commandment? It literally began with Abraham because, I mean, that was what God commanded Abraham, be circumcised. You remember that in Genesis, which is a part of the Torah, by the way. Anyway, I think it's uh, important that we all just kind of ponder this. Because a lot of people go with Paul as their source for doing whatever they want to do, not following the law, running away from the Holy Scripture, calling the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament, having Sabbath on Sundays, which is kind of weird, and doing all other holidays but the ones that are in the Bible. Did you know God gave us eight holidays that are in the Bible? Actually, all 10 holidays are in the Bible, which is uh, including Hanukkah and um, 
Purim, which is what we're talking about today. But uh, a lot of people don't take those things into account. And furthermore, a lot of people don't even know what those holidays are. So that's a problem if you consider yourself as a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But yet you don't follow his word because some guy who is hard to understand has talked you out of it. Furthermore, the people who follow Paul's writings don't even know the Torah. So if you don't know the Torah and you're trying to read Paul's writings, that's going to be a problem because Paul, when you study the Torah, you'll find out he's just requoting everything. He talks about Janus and Jambres, by the way, when he writes to Timothy. And do you know that Janus and Jambres is only found in the oral Torah? Yes, the rabbinic stuff, the Talmud, you know, like Midrash. So that's kind of weird. But anyway, so if Paul is an advocate of the oral Torah, rabbinic and Jewish stuff, we should probably uh, take that to, to mind, take note of that, and probably kind of uh, rework the system here. Because again, the only reason Christianity exists is because the Torah was done away with, and there needed to be a whole new system of how to worship the Lord to come into place. It's predicated off of believing in a Messiah who died on a cross was buried, resurrected on the third day. And then this guy named Paul, who used to kill the very people who followed this Messiah, decided, oh, I have to have a change of heart because that very same God appeared to me. And he told me that I need to stop doing that and change my life. So now, because of that, we have all of his writings that we base everything off of. Forget about Peter. Forget about James. Forget about John. Forget about Matthew. Because in Matthew, Matthew says in chapter 5, do not think, which means don't even try to make a way, don't try to put it into your mind, that I came to abolish the Torah. That's Matthew five seventeen. Many people skirt around that verse like very, very fancily, but I don't know how they do it. But anyway, just something to note. So to finish this section here about Paul, it says some things in them are hard to understand, which the ignorant, again, ignorant being people who are lacking in information. And it says, oh, not just that. They don't lack information only. It says, and say, and they're unstable. How many of you know that if you go up to uh, a teacher of the Bible today, not a Jewish one, but I mean, just one who believes in the Lord, like the, the risen Messiah and expecting his return, maybe because some people don't really expect him to return now because they're like, oh, I got too much things to do and I want to focus on this. But anyway, that's beside the point. How many of you know that if you ask them, well, didn't our Messiah say that the Torah was not abolished? And aren't we supposed to like do Passover? And like the Bible didn't tell us that Messiah was born on the 25th. Okay, so I don't see anywhere in the Bible that shows me how to do all these holidays that apparently there's all these commandments for. Like we're commanded to decorate a tree we're commanded to give gifts on somebody else's birthday. 
you know, I asked somebody, I said, you know, oh, it's your birthday. I was like, okay, so what are you going to get me? I was joking, of course, but the look on this person's face was like, what do you mean? I was like, oh, you don't understand Xmas? I mean, when it's the Messiah's birthday, we get gifts. He never gets gifts. We get them. And besides, no one ever makes him a birthday cake. And if they have, they've never offered it to me. I've never seen it. You know, and so it's just kind of weird on that end. But anyway, that person was like, ah, touche. But anyway, uh, just things to think about. Uh, Smeester, where, where is that? Valentine's Day, where is that? Um, you know, Shalloween, dressing up as demons and going around and telling people, give me candy or I will prank you. Because, you know, that's what trick or treat means. But uh, yeah, so I mean, just thinking about all these things, it's like, really think about it. Because if God is holy and he is, why would he tell us to stop being like he told us? Stop listening to the prophets. I mean, we might as well throw away every single prophet if this is the life that we want to live. And I know we're not supposed to be under law, but we're under grace. Hey, guess what? Did you know that's the teaching of Purim? That's what I'm here to talk about today, but I, I have yet to get out of my introduction. So you question these teachers, these leaders, pastors, if you will, fathers, if you will, because the whole Catholic thing and all that kind of stuff, which, by the way, did you know that the Catholics are totally OK with wearing head coverings during their services? But uh, apparently, if you're a Christian, you're not supposed to wear a head covering. So it's just like, oh, well, he gets to wear one. I don't. And did you know that in Judaism, the Cohen wears a head covering, the Levite wears a head covering, and so does Israel wear a head covering. Everybody wears a head covering. Just uh, something to think about. Even the Messiah on the crucifixion stake when he was being crucified was wearing a head covering. It was called a crown of thorns. Before that, he was wearing a typical head covering that a Jewish man would wear before they stripped him of it and took all his clothes. So anyway, uh, just, again, things to think about. It is Purim. We should be renewing ourselves and our service to Hashem. We're going to get to that. But anyway, uh, the next thing is, okay, so when you question these people, when they cannot give you an answer, they begin to turn red. They get angry. They go, they don't want to talk about this or they just straight up security. Come get this person. They're a lunatic. You know, they're a lunatic or they're they're a looney tune. Get them out of here. Someone put this person in a padded room. I don't have time for this. How dare you ask me these questions? Yeah, it, it's in there. Just you should know that you this is this is about the resurrection. The reason we have the Sabbath on Sundays is because the Messiah was raised on Sunday. And it's like, well, did you know on Sabbath you're not supposed to spend money, make your servants work, and you're supposed to, like, refrain from mundane activity. You're supposed to, like, not cook and all sorts of stuff like that. But we digress. But anyway, the instability totally comes to the surface when you do these things. It's like having sediment in the bottom of a cup of water and then you start asking these questions is like shaking that cup of water and the water gets all cloudy. So not good. So anyway, it says they are unstable and twist as they do with the rest of the scriptures. Oh, 
They take the whole Tanakh and they twist it. They say the Old Testament. Yeah. So, you know, when you read through Genesis through Deuteronomy, you should just treat it like a movie, just like you're eating popcorn. Be like, oh, I'm glad we don't have to do that anymore. Those poor Jews having to work for their salvation. Da 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 da. I mean, it just it gets out of hand. But anyway, so that happens. And it says, and they twist this to their own destruction. Verse 17 says, since you already know all this, loved ones, be on your guard so that you are not led astray by the error of who? The lawless and lose your sure footing. I want you to say lawless. Now, in second, I'm going to go all the way English with this. Second Peter 3.17 says, since you already know what? That Paul's letters are hard to understand. People who are ignorant and unstable twist them to their destruction, just like they do with the rest of the scriptures. Since you already know this, loved ones, be on your guard so that you're not led astray by the error of the lawless and lose your sh sure footing. It's like if you disregard the teachings of those who are without the law, and if you disregard those who make errors in Paul's writings, guess what? You'll have sure footing. Why? Because in verse 18, it says, instead, keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach, which all of that you can wrap up as saying, keep growing in Torah, because true Torah is full of grace, full of knowledge of the Mashiach. Because the Torah is Mashiach, and if grace came through Mashiach, which it did, and the law came through Moses, which it did, put that together. Because Moses brought the law, which is Messiah, so grace being the law that Moses brought, Moses brought the Messiah. I know, it's crazy if you really just kind of put all these connections together. And then it says to him, be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. I mean, because when the Messiah returns and he will, and we're praying soon in our days, it will be a day that is called eternity, which is like a eternal Shabbat. It's going to finally be when we don't have to go to work again, when we can stop planting and harvesting and working by the spread sweat of our brow. We're going to be back to tending the garden like we should have been. And the earth is just going to produce like you would not believe. I mean, the, the size of the hollow loaves that are going to grow directly out of the earth, the way that all the trees are going to produce fruit, there will not be a barren fruit tree. There will not be a barren tree. All trees will be edible and will give forth fruit. I mean, just thinking about all that, I'm like, why don't we have Shabbat now? Why is Mashiach not here now? Okay, but anyway... But I know everybody likes to work and work and work and work and never think about, you know, learning about God and stuff because I'm too busy working. I, too, I have way too much ambition and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And people want to do all sorts of things besides be devoted to God. I know that's the common trend today, but, uh, you know, that's only for now. So if you're really wanting to forsake God, if you want to gain the whole world and lose your soul, then, uh, you know, 
you got a little bit more time left, I guess, if you really want to go that route. Or you can be like Abraham and Sarah, who they worked, but their work was in was a part of their service to God. This is why Shaul again would write, work is unto the glory of the Lord. I mean, did you know you're supposed to do that? Did you know you're supposed to glorify God with your work? Um, let's see here. Source that out too. Um, boom, ba -da boom. It is in the writing of Colossi. He wrote this to Colossi. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Yeshua, i.e. the Torah, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You didn't see him say God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Did you know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all one because of the Torah, which is literally the Spirit of God, which was made manifest as Mashiach, but this all came from Hashem. And so much so to say that the Torah and Hashem are one. So you can't have God without Torah and you can't have Torah without God. People try to do both. And what does that turned out to be? Unbelieving uh, Judaism who doesn't convert people, who doesn't really teach truth. And they're a blood cult. And they're like, is your mother Jewish? If she's not, then you're wasting your time. Go be a Noahide. Or... Hey, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday and we can bless the Lord? And it's just kind of like, that's what that picture looks like when people don't understand the unity of God, like the Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Lord our God is one. So anyway, again, this only exists because people decided throw away the Torah, don't study rabbinic stuff and don't study the Jewish stuff. Don't listen to the prophets. Yeah, don't do any of that. Don't be like Abraham and Sarah. I mean, Abraham and Sarah weren't even Christians. So, I mean, it's just so weird. And they never celebrated Xmas. And I know Messiah wasn't born yet. But you have to really think about it. Abraham saw Messiah's day and rejoiced. I mean, what, what really is that? You know, so I'm just saying... Either Xmas is a memorial or it's not, because usually when holidays come about and develop, you know, you really have to think about when did this point in time happen? And uh, let's go ahead and do that. And if you really try to look for December 25th and the historical records, you won't find it because December 25th only came into existence about 400 years ago. Yeah, when King George decided to give us his, or King Greg Sleeka decided to give us his calendar. Yes, the Gregorian calendar, which consists of 12 months that technically lend themselves to a 10-month time period because Desi is 10. And why we have Desi as the 12th month? Yes, December. It's based off of Desi. Did you know that? If you didn't, uh, we've been expecting you and the more you know. So anyway, I read Colossians 3.17. We're supposed to work to the glory of the Lord. All right. So just to go back all the way to the Megillot, the five scrolls, because I stopped after Kohelet, because there was a whole drop about the congregation in Kahal. All right. So yeah, Song of Songs, Ruth, Ecclesiastes, 
and we got uh, Lamentations and Esther. But when you hear the word Megillah, it typically means Esther. So just a little primary thing to point out. All right. So let's get into where Purim came from. Just like that. We're in Esther chapter nine, starting at verse 20. It says in verse 20. Vayiktav Mordecai et hadavarim ha'ele vayishlak sefarim el kol hayudu hayudu sika hayudim asher bekol me dinot hamelek achash berosh hakrovim veharokim harkochim. There we go. All right, my broken Hebrew, but that was reading Esther 9.20 in Hebrew. For those of you who read it in English and got ahead of me, you know basically what I said, but I gave you the Hebrew. But for everybody else who didn't, so we can all be on the same page, (laughs) same verse, same page, same time, different channel. All right, Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters. Literally, it said books. To all the Jews who were in the provinces of King Ahasuerus, King Ahasuerus, the near ones and the distant ones. Okay, so Mordecai is doing this. This is done by Mordecai. Mordecai is like probably, I don't know, definitely the most legitimate person uh, of his time. He was literally one of the men of the great of assembly who gave us such commandments like you should probably light candles at the beginning of Shabbat, which starts on Friday night at sundown. You should probably uh, read Tehillim 113 through 118 as the hymn known as the Hallel. Uh, You should probably um, what else they got? I went through these uh, commandments a while back. But just so I can be uh, all on the same page again, there are seven rabbinic commandments. Let me uh, bring them back again. Stand by. Bring on the seven laws of the rabbis. Because Mordecai was one of the people who was in charge of instituting this uh, you should also know Ezra and Nehemiah were part of it, uh, Zechariah, Haggai. So if you say, these are the laws of men, you might want to second guess that statement. Because why do we read the book of Zechariah? Why do we read the book of Haggai? Just saying. Uh, okay, so the Hillel, again, that is Tehillim 113, Psalms 113 through 118. Why do we say blessings before we do things? Like Yeshua, when he took the bread and broke it. Yep, that came from the rabbis. Yeshua followed the rabbis. We say blessings before we eat. The Torah teaches us to say blessings after we eat. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Uh, the Another one, washing hands before you eat. That is another common practice of Yeshua. Notice in Mark 7, it says some of his Talmudim didn't. Well, that's because some of his Talmudim, it was doing good for them not to be killing anybody that they were in the room with. Because one of his Talmudim was a zealot. 
And it's just kind of like, I don't even know how he even like existed with the group without choking somebody out. But such is the way of Messiah that he changes men because that's the power of the word of God, which, oh yeah, because Mashiach is the word of God. But anyway, uh, making an Eruv on Shabbat, that is the customary uh, section of a neighborhood that uh, is designated uh, with the permission of the local government, by the way, can't just say, oh, we made an Eruv. It's like, no, did you work with the city on this? Because if not, you're going to have some issues. It says the rabbis place certain restrictions on Shabbat. And um, it says, so the Eruv two-step process, an enclosure is made of a series of walls and strings mounted on poles, steep hills, and wires. So people living in an Eruv typically don't drive and you can carry things to and from your domain. Gets really technical, but that's a gist of it. Lighting the Sabbath candles. Oh, yeah. And this one thing that we're talking about on this podcast, the reading of the Megillah for Purim. Yeah, so we read the story of Esther during the festival of Purim. So that came from the rabbis. Oh, and celebrating Hanukkah, which is in John chapter 10. uh, That was also brought forth by the rabbis. So there's your seven rabbinic things. So back to Mordecai. I'm going to read to you from Pirke de Rebbe Eliezer. It says, this is on page 114 in chapter 50. It says this, there was a Jewish man in Shushan. Again, he's a Jewish guy. So he gave us Jewish stuff. Notice it didn't say he was a Christian. Just want to put that out there says that uh, he was a man in Shushan, the capital whose name was Mordecai. Or Shushan is the capital. And this Jewish man, his name was Mordecai, this is Esther 2.5. So read it all together in the proper way. There was a Jewish man in Shushan, the capital, whose name was Mordecai, Esther 2.5. Rabbi Shemaiah asked, was there no other Jew in Shushan besides Mordecai? After all, it says the Jews that were in Shushan assembled like the Avengers. Uh, Esther 9, 18. Rabbi Shemaiah answers, Mordecai was unique in that he was a righteous Jew of distinguished ancestry and of royal lineage who immersed himself in the Torah study all his life, and he did not partake of the banquet of Ahasuerus, even though the food was kosher. You know, this festival that appears at the beginning of Esther, it's just important to note, they took the items that were uh, looted from the destruction of the first temple and had them all strewn out through this party that took place for over six months, uh, including the king Ahasuerus wanting his wife to show up naked in front of everybody so he can parade her around. And then there was kosher food at this event while the king himself was dressed up in the garments of the high priest. So I just want to point out that just because a place is serving you kosher food probably doesn't mean that you should just go to the party. 
Because if there, people are serving kosher food at an Xmas dinner, or if people are serving kosher food for a Halloween party, you know, I mean, these are just kind of things to take into account. Because the whole reason the the story of Esther happened is because we were doing things like this and it made Hashem upset because number one, we should have been going back to the promised land because the 70 years of the Babylonian exile ended. But this party was thrown for over six months to say, see, your God ain't redeemed you. He's not going to redeem you. It's been 70 years. Everybody knows he should have brought you salvation by now. But since he hasn't, let's celebrate and let's do all this very debaucherous stuff. And it's like, oh, okay. well, then, Jews, if that's what you want to do, then I'm going to let a gentleman by the name of Haman rise to power and he's going to get heavenly permission to kill all y'all because y'all just don't care. Y'all don't want no y'all don't want the temple. Y'all don't want to go back to Israel. You want to stay in exile and you want to do non-Jewish stuff. Which, by the way, if staying in exile and doing non-Jewish stuff is the goal, which is really what the church has taught the whole entire world, then uh, we need to take into account what happened in Esther. Because Hashem is not okay with us doing non-Jewish stuff and staying in exile and partying and celebrating it. So that's weird because that's not taught by people who believe in the Messiah. So it's important to note the Messiah only taught Jewish stuff. And then in Matthew 28, he also told us to go out and teach the rest of the world Jewish stuff. Also, he said, go and make the world into Jewish stuff. Because that's the only reason you immerse someone. You only immerse someone to convert them. Or to purify them from ritual impurity, which would mean you would have to be following the Torah. Otherwise, you're just going underwater and blowing bubbles which you can do in your own bathtub and save a lot of time and quit, you know, being irresponsible. Anyway, continuing on, it says, for these reasons, he is called a Jewish man. He's called a Jewish man because he's immersed in Torah study. He's distinguished. He has royal ancestry, all of that, right? His name was Mordecai, son of Yair, son of Shimei, son of Kish. His name was Mordecai because his prayer rose to the Holy One. Blessed be he like incense Mordechai, which is pure, pure myrrh. So if you want to say pure myrrh in Hebrew, you literally say Mordecai. Which is the fragrant incense that rises before Shem. Check this out. Mordecai, which is pure myrrh, was the prime ingredient say prime in the incense of the Beit Hamikdash Shemot 30 verse 22 in the holy temple Exodus 30 verse 22 this is the prime ingredient of the incense which is known as the Ketoret this comes from the golden altar the Targum translates Mordecai in Shemot 30 verse 22 as Mordechai and it says Mordecai was a member of the Sanhedrin. So, you know, the seat of Moses. Yeah, he was one of the people that sat in that seat. There were 70 plus one that sat in the seat of Moses. Anyway, 
the people who were in the seat of Moses during Messiah's time were all Sadducees or predominantly Sadducees. Not everybody was a Sadducee, but most of them were, which is important because those are the people who did not follow the oral Torah. They only followed what was written only. So if it wasn't written in Genesis through Deuteronomy, they were like, throw it out. Which would be a problem because in Genesis through Deuteronomy, we learn about stoning disobedient children. We learn about having slaves and all that kind of stuff. And if you don't have the oral Torah to teach about, oh, we learned about eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Now, if you don't have the oral Torah, you're going to have a lot of blind and toothless people and you're going to have a bunch of children stoned. So just something to think about if you really want to be a Sadducee, word of God only. Solo Scriptura type person. So anyway, uh, which is the whole reason why Messiah had uh, improper trials. He was judged at night, which is not what you're supposed to do. If you read the oral Torah, you would learn that. Uh, and you would also not be able to accuse him unless you had two witnesses. But none of that mattered because... It was just kind of like it was kangaroo court and there were Sadducees and everybody was doing whatever they wanted to do. And Messiah was preaching too much truth. And, you know, when people can't handle the truth, they do whatever it takes because they're like unstable and stuff and they want to strike it out. So anyway, just thinking about all that. Uh, the next thing says that he was the son of Ya'er, which means because Mordecai clarified, which is Me'er, the Halakha. Okay, the the way in which you apply the commandments as found in the oral Torah. So Mordecai was a person who was very helpful and clear, making clear and giving clarity to the oral Torah. Son of Shimi, it says the name Shimi, who came out to curse David. In 2 Samuel 16, 5. Mordecai was a person who descended from somebody who cursed the king of Israel. That's interesting. And then it says son of Kish, because Mordecai knocked, which is he Kish, on the heavenly doors of compassion and they were opened for him. Mordecai, the linguist, Rabbi Shimon says, behold, Mordecai's wisdom. He knew 70 languages, which, by the way, all languages that exist today have their sub roots in 70 specific languages, which would be the dispersion of the Tower of Babel and what Hashem spoke in at Mount Sinai when he gave the Torah, which is what Moses spoke in for the giving of Deuteronomy and what Joseph spoke when he went before Pharaoh. Those are all the 70 languages, which is every language known to man. So anyway, Mordecai knew all those. So he was on the level of Joseph, Moses, and the voice of Hashem. So, yeah, he knew all the languages, which is called speaking in tongues. Which is a gift, by the way, that the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, gives us. And so when you think about speaking in tongues... You think about, oh, well, how did Mordecai, Joseph, and Moses, and the voice of Hashem do that? Because it's the Spirit. Anyway, and he was called Mordecai Bilshon, which is, or Bilshan, which is the linguist. It says, being a member of the Sanhedrin, Mordecai had to know the 70 languages. 
if a person from any country, any culture had to come and speak, Mordecai would be able to understand him and communicate with him. That's what that means. The Sanhedrin had to be those kind of people. They had to know every language known to mankind in order to sit on the Sanhedrin, i.e. the seat of Moses. So you wonder why Moses knew all those languages. And why did he speak in all those languages? Because the book of Deuteronomy, again, is Moses speaking in tongues. He spoke in the 70 known languages. And again, there are way more than 70 languages that exist today, but they all trace back to one of these 70. Anyway, one day he overheard, oh, I skipped a verse or statement. It says he sat at the king's gate, making sure Esther and her maidens did not defile themselves with unkosher food. So he was like, is that kosher? Okay, good. You can partake of it. How much that would just get beat down in a, in a church today? It's like, is this kosher? I don't even know what that means. Why are you asking? I don't care. We can eat whatever we want. Clearly, you would be against Mordecai at that point. Again, he's not he's not anybody of any importance, not a big deal or anything. It's just Mordecai, just whatever, you know. Anyway, uh, no, he's not. He's very unique. That's why I'm reading this. It says, one day he overheard two of the king's chamberlains conversing in the Tarsian language. Okay, the Tarsian language, not Tarzan, but Tarsian, like Tarsus. Okay, and they were saying in that language, the king will soon take his noontime nap. Oh, how I love to take noon naps, if I could. When he awakes, asking for a glass of water, we will put poison into his golden goblet. Mordecai, understanding their language, told Esther, who told the king and Mordecai's name. Don't you just love that? Esther was like so legit. She was like, listen, O king, in the name of Mordecai, I tell you this, i.e., I am the second witness that, of this information that I'm giving you because I am Esther who is speaking in the name of Mordecai to tell you this information. So the king is like, oh, so Mordecai is the one responsible for saving my life. Okay, cool. Thanks. Anyway, it says, so she told the king in Mordecai's name, who told the king in Mordecai's name, as it says, Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name, Esther 2.22. This prompted the sages to coin the phrase, whoever repeats something in the name of the one who said it brings redemption to the world. Because ultimately, when Esther shared this information with the king, this gave the Jews the advantage over Haman. Because Haman ended up having to bow and serve Mordecai because of this information. You'll find this when you read Esther. So this is why it's important to read the Megillah so you can find this stuff out. So anyway, so that guy wrote that we should celebrate Purim. So if you have a problem with the holiday of Purim, you have a problem with Mordecai. And you also have a problem with the Sanhedrin. You also have a problem with the rabbis. 
You also have a problem with Zechariah. You also have a problem with Haggai, Ezra, Nehemiah. I mean, you have a problem with all those people. I mean, that's just think about that. Selah. Verse 21 of chapter 9 in Esther, charging them to observe annually the 14th day of the month of Adar. You know, before understanding the Hebrew calendar, I would always be like, what do you mean the 11th month on the 10th day and the first day of the first month and the 10th day of the seventh month? When you understand the Hebrew calendar and actually live in it, then you would understand all these days. And it's just kind of like, wow, okay. Which, by the way, thousands of people, if not more, do that today. I am one of them. Uh, as of this podcast, it is currently the, where are we at? Yeah, we're on the 8th of Adar. We're on the 8th day of the month of Adar, which is the 12th month on the Hebrew calendar. So if you really want to get biblical with it, we're on the 8th day of the 12th month. Alright, so anyway, going on, he says that, you know, on the 14th day of this month of Adar... And it's 15th day as the days on which the Jews gained relief from their enemies and the month which had been turned about for them from one of sorrow to gladness and from mourning to festival to observe them as days of feasting, gladness, sending delicacies to one another and gifts to the poor. Did you catch those four things? Have a festive meal. Be super glad and joyous, which you do when you're reading the Megillah. You send delicacies to one another. These are gift baskets. So this is where the Schmeister basket came from. So, you know, the whole thing where you decorate it and put treats in it and all sorts of goodies and things like that and go give them to people as a gift. That it's not supposed to be done for Smeester because you shouldn't celebrate Smeester. But if you do, okay. Uh, don't know what to tell you on that because you would be so far out of the Bible that it doesn't make any sense. And say no to nonsense, but I digress. So delicacies to one another, you do this for Purim. And you give gifts to the poor, which is called Zadaka. Or as the Hebrew says, Umatanot. La Evionim, give gifts to the poor, matanot, which was, by the way, the word used for the giving of the Torah, matan, which means a gift. It's called matan Torah. In Exodus 19, when the Torah was given, it's called God gave us a gift. And isn't it interesting that Shaul writes to the Ephesians that our salvation is a gift? Because the Torah, which delivers us from death into life, because it is a tree of life, which causes life to sprout forth in us and life everlasting, which is why we say in our blessing after reading and studying the Torah, we say who has planted eternal life within us because that's what the Torah is. When you take in Torah, you're taking in eternal life. But anyway, it's a gift and all that. So you give gifts to the poor. So these are the four things that you should do on Purim. Okay, you give gifts and you have a festive meal and you read the Megillah. You uh, send baskets to one another, okay? So, uh, yeah. So anyway, this is uh, uh, really cool. So Mordecai gave us this. 
It says the Jews, this verse 23 of chapter nine, the Jews undertook to continue that which they had begun just as Mordecai had prescribed to them. So it's like, all right, Tadarabah, thank you very much, Mordecai. We'll take it from here. This will now be a Jewish thing, not just a Mordecai thing. So if you look at commentary on this, it says days of feasting and gladness. The decision to celebrate through feasting was based on the fact that the miracles in Esther, which is the Megillah, occurred through feast. Remember that one time Esther was like, hey, king, why don't you and Haman come to my house for an awesome meal? Okay, yeah, that happened in previous chapters. If you read the whole Megillah, you'll find all this information out. So I won't spoil it for you. But anyway, you should know everything happened through meals for the miracles. And isn't it interesting that Mashiach did the same thing? You know, when he was getting ready to be crucified, we had a festive meal. When he was resurrected, we had a festive meal. When uh, Kepha was reinstated, we had a festive meal. So anyway, just you should know that. All right. So it occurred through feasts, the miracles did. And then it says that of Ahasuerus, that led to Vashti's death and Esther's coronation because at the beginning of Esther, there was that whole un, uh, inappropriate party going on. They were having this festive meal. And because Vashti was like, I ain't showing up naked in front of all y'all people. You can have somebody else do it. And it was like, all right, fine. Well, you're you're dead, girl. I'm killing you. That's that's what happened. Because King was like, advisors, what say to you to this? It's like, well, if this woman is disrespectful, then all the other women are going to be disrespectful. So might as well show them an example of not being disrespectful. It means you die. Which apparently we can go around being disrespectful to Hashem, like not following his commandments. And, um, you know, we never really take into account that, you know, death because, you know, of disobedience. Because, you know, God totally said in Deuteronomy, I said before you life and death. You know, like if you obey the Torah, it's life. If you disobey the Torah, it's death. Anyway, so if we should learn from Vashti, we should probably learn from that because that was the king's wife and she disobeyed the king's command. We are the king's wife. Bezrat Hashem, Chasbe Shalom, that we disobey the king's command. So with the help of Hashem, may we not uh, disobey the king's command. Amen. And then it also says Esther was coronated because of this. Because Vashti died, now we need a new queen. Let's get some righteousness in there. And it's like, oh, how about Esther? And it says, and those of Esther that brought about Haman's downfall. Be'ur Halakha 695. That's a source for that. Because, you know, because Esther had these festive meals, the one who wanted to kill all the Jews, he came to his death. And that is Haman. Also says, uh, since it was the physical life that was threatened and subsequently saved, contrary to the miracle of Hanukkah. Uh, yeah. Wow. This is crazy. It was the physical life. Hanukkah was the spiritual life. That's amazing. So Hanukkah and Purim are about our lives being saved and salvation and deliverance. One is spiritual and one is physical. Uh, Purim, physical, Hanukkah, spiritual. Then it goes on to say that through the physical festivities and bringing cheer to friends, 
and to the less fortunate, we joyfully remember how our lives were returned to us. You know, it's really cool because God tells us in the Torah that when we celebrate the holidays like Passover, Shavuot, Sukkot, that we should make sure that those who are less fortunate are taken care of before we enter into our celebration. I.e., I, if you know someone who cannot, uh, who does not have a sukkah to sit in, or they don't have cheesecake for Shavuot, or they don't have a Seder that they can go to, then it is incumbent upon us as a nation of followers of Hashem to make sure to close in those gaps. Going on to say, sending delicacies to one another, each person must send a gift consisting of at least two ready-to-eat foods to one other person. That's from Megillah 7a, which is a tractate of Talmud. So when you give your gift baskets, make sure there are ready-to-eat meals in there, nothing that people have to cook. Don't send somebody, like, cookie dough, unless it's edible cookie dough, I guess. Uh, don't send me pancake batter. Don't do it. Just don't, okay? Love how I just threw myself in there because I, if I, I love pancakes and if anybody wants to give me a gift basket full of already made pancakes, I will totally not turn it down. Anyway, gifts to the poor means two gifts. Don't you love how it says two ready to eat foods and you also give two gifts to two people, one gift to each of the two people. It's like, what is this deal with two? Well, did you know that there are two messiahs who are actually one? There's a suffering messiah and a reigning king messiah. That's why Messiah first came to die and he'll return as the ruling reigning king. Well, even in our gift giving and our delicacies and our gifts to the poor, we're paying homage to the fact that there are two aspects to our salvation. There is the suffering and the death and the resurrection and the life. So, yeah which are both two things, uh, coincidentally enough, which coincidence is not a really a Jewish word. So don't know why I said that. Also, um, one of the other things it said over here that, um, verse 20. Yeah. Mordecai wrote this Megillah exactly as it appears in its present text and legislated that the annual reading of the Megillah and the establishment of the celebration of Purim so that the Jews would never forget the miracle. The 14th day, it says, they gained relief from their enemies. Only in Shushan did they fight another day, and therefore the celebration of the 15th is called Shushan Purim. And then it said, however, one could hardly expect its Jewish population to remain there for all time. So the rabbis ordained that the 15th be celebrated in cities like Shushan, which have walls around them. So if you're in a walled city, you actually have two days of Purim. If you don't have walls around your city, then you only have one day, which is the 14th. Baruch Hashem. So the significance of Purim with our current uh, Torah portion this week, uh, the Torah portion of Tetzave, I want to read to you from um, what's called Lakute Torah. It opens up with this. It says, Purim is a memorable day in the life of every Jew. 
Indeed, its unique character is not merely a personal feeling, but one echoed by our sages, as well who maintain that in the future all holidays will be nullified, with the exception of Purim. Side note to that, because of the esteemed and exalted and level that Purim will be celebrated in time to come, maybe soon in our days, it will seem like there are no other holidays. Like that's how much Purim is going to be lifted up. Right now, not too many people know about Purim. Many people think this is uh, that holiday where Jews dress up and they're like months late because they should have done this back in October. And this is also when Jews get drunk. That's the current consensus on Purim. Far from the truth it is, but okay. Back to the text, it says, The Alter Rebbe states that the joy of Purim surpasses the joy of any other holiday, highlighting the special status bestowed upon Purim above all the rest. The reason for this reverence is because on Purim, we revealed a part of our relationship with Hashem that had never been seen before, even at Mantan Torah. And that's where I'm going to just stop. And I don't know if I'm going to get to finish because we're about to get into we are no longer under the law, but under grace, because this is the time. This is the sources where all that information comes from, because during Purim, this is where we moved from being under the Torah to being under the grace of the Torah, because when we first received the Torah in Exodus chapter 19 and also in Exodus 24, which is the same event that there was a, a whole thing that was going on and we were considered air quotes big on this forced to take the Torah. It was like, you have to do this Torah or else you will die. And uh, we're going to read about that. But it is only with Purim that the completion in some of the con commentaries, they bring it down, that it was only in Purim that that event was actually completed. Because there is a level that we have to say, listen, we must uphold the Torah. Because the Torah is likened to a wedding contract, a marriage contract, slika, which is called a ketubah. Like the things that the husband and the wife must uphold. The husband has his responsibilities and the wife has her responsibilities. Most of us today, just put it in layman terms, when a husband and a, uh, and a wife are married, first of all, they don't have relations with other people. They cherish and take care of one another and uh, health and in sickness, you know, and um, they have to provide for one another certain things. And uh, yeah, so if you're considered yourself, you know, married, then you know you have to do these things. Same way with Hashem. If we're married to Hashem, there are certain things we have to do. But the thing is, we don't make it about what we do. We make it about our relationship. We make it about we are so in love with Hashem. Just like a husband and a wife, they make sure that they're about loving each other. It's not about, oh, I'm going to do all these to do, to do, to do, to do, to do. Like, I'm going to wash dishes for you. I'm going to take out the trash for you. I'm going to buy you flowers. I'm going to clean the house for you. I'm going to cook you dinner. Like, if a marriage is only focused on those things, 
imagine how estranged the relationship would be, though as uh, luxurious as that may be. You don't ever have to worry about what am I going to eat tonight because, you know, the husband or the wife is going to cook, whoever does the cooking. You know that your house will never be dirty because whoever cleans or whatever does the house, you're like, okay, that's awesome. But it's like, I don't really know you. We don't spend time together. We don't, uh, you know, engage in, you know, relationship stuff, you know, do relationship things. And so same way with the shim. So when you think about all the letters of Paul where people try to go way off the path of being obedient to the commandments, that's what they twist. They say Paul tells us we're not under the law. We're under grace. And, you know, we don't we're supposed to be uh, following the Messiah. We're supposed to be, you know, living for God and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay. That's right, because if you focus on your relationship with Hashem, which is where the grace is, then you'll understand that the law works in tandem with that because that is responsibility. If you want to have freedom, but you don't have any responsibility, you're going to end up being a socialist. You're going to end up being a homosexual. I know that escalated quickly. You're going to end up being a tyrant, okay? Because that's what happens. You want everything your way, when your way, and however your way. Literally, if you follow the, the line of thought for all of that, you'll see all of those roots right there. But those of us who live in uh, free countries, we know that we're only free because we follow the law. We're only free because we're responsible people. I guarantee you, if you go and rob a bank because you want money, you will go to jail. Eventually, if you're not caught the first time, which I don't know how you wouldn't be, but hey, let's not test God. <laughs> you know, right? But anyway, so now that we've established all that information, here we go. So... Let's start with what happened when we received the Torah. Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer, chapter 41, page 57, says, The sixth time God descended to this world, notice it says six, and six is all about vav. It's the, the, the number that is symbolic of man. And the Torah is also called six because there are six aspects of the Torah. So how punny Hashem is to make the six all about the man of Torah coming down. Interesting. Because we know the Messiah is the Torah who was in the form of man. And the, the tablets, by the way, that Moses brought down, he brought down two of them that were about the height of a Jewish man. When you get the measurements of the tablets and all that, it, that's what it comes out to be. So anyway... And the tablets were the uh, the equivalent of a mikvah. So you have two mikvahs that are in the the uh, then the form or the height anyway, as far as uh, measurements of a man. So the man who is a mikvah, which are two but are one, like the two Mashiachs, the two messiahs, who's really one, and he himself is a mikvah. 
because we learn in Jeremiah that Hashem is the hope of Israel. But when you read the Hebrew, it says Hashem is the mikvah of Israel. And Messiah says, I came in the name of the one who sent me, i.e. I came in the name of Hashem, the one who is the hope of Israel. So literally when we're placing our hope in the Messiah, we're placing our hope in Hashem, which is why we have to hope in Hashem. Back to Pirkei Rebbe Eliezer. He says, when he was, when, or was when he, start over at the beginning. The sixth time God descended to this world was when he came down on Mount Sinai. As it says, God came down on Mount Sinai to the peak of the mountain, Exodus 19, 20. On the sixth day of Sivan, the Holy One, which is the fourth month. Yeah, we got, um, no, third month, Slika. Wow. So the sixth day of the third month, the month of Sivan. It says, the Holy One, blessed be He. By the way, this is also the day of Shabbat. That's where this comes from. All right. The day in Acts chapter 2 where the tongues of fire came down, which is the same thing that happened in Exodus 19 where the fire tongues came down. Anyway, uh, the Holy One, blessed be He, appeared. Oh, so He, he manifests. Okay. He appeared to Israel on Mount Sinai. Here we go. The mountain was lifted up from its base and the peak of the mountain penetrated the open heaven while a thick cloud covered the mountain. Baal HaTorim, which is a commentator of Torah, brings down that Hashem bent down the heavens to the earth. So all of the highest, most high heavens, seven levels of them, he brought all those down to earth. And that's what the mountain pierced and penetrated into so that the heavens were now on the earth. So heaven on earth, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes. Exodus 19, sixth of Savan, sixth day of the third month, the day of Shabbat, the day of Pentecost. The day the Torah was given, the day the Holy Spirit was given, the day that Mashiach was given. Okay, that's all there, right there. And by, by what I mean when I say the day Mashiach was given, this was Mashiach in the form of the Torah. So the Torah is Messiah, Messiah is the Torah. There you go. Now, it says the Holy One, blessed be he, sat on his throne while his feet were on the thick cloud, as it states, he bent down the heavens and descended with thick darkness beneath his feet. Second Samuel 22.10. Well, that's just absolutely ridiculous because it says that the Messiah from Jewish commentary from the sages, the Messiah is the throne of Hashem. But who sits on the throne of Hashem is an angel of Hashem called Memtet. And Ezekiel brings down that this man looks like a he's got fire on his upper body and bronze on his lower body. And I mean, okay, so, and we obviously know this is Messiah Yeshua. So is it Hashem or is it Yeshua? Is it Memtet? Is it this man on the throne that's seen in Ezekiel? Is it the Torah of Hashem? Is it the throne of Hashem? What is going on? The answer is yes. We have to understand Hashem is one. 
there is no other. Okay, so now going on from there, we got that Paul brings this down in various places that you are no longer under the law. So when this mountain was hovered over us, this is also in Tractate Shabbat in the Talmud. Start at 88 and just read because it's like the most amazing thing ever. You'll see that God spoke and every word that came out of his mouth, we died and were resurrected. Uh, that every word God spoke was a fragrant aroma. And you find out that the angels came down and gave us crowns, which is um, the the uh, garments of praise, the garments of splendor uh, and all that. All this stuff, you'll I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Who told them my secret? Like the secret of serving God is we will do and we will obey. And I mean, it, it's just like, OK, anyway, all of that's in there. So with that being said, God has the mountain hovered over us and said, if you accept this Torah, then good. But if not, this will be your grave. Sounds a little forced, if you ask me. So now we go all the way to Purim and it says that we're now revealing. How do we, I'm going to put this exactly like the Lakute Torah says. We revealed a part of our relationship with Hashem that had never been seen before. Okay. So we're about to go into some deep levels of our love of Hashem right now because of Purim. But yet at Mount Sinai, it was fire. There was thunder and lightning, shofar blasts and, and like stuff just going crazy. There's a mountain in the air. The heavens are on the earth. And it's like, who would dare tell Hashem at that point, no, I don't want to listen to you. I mean, just think about that. So there, there you go. That's the giving of the law. But now that we're under grace because there's a deeper relationship to who we are, we don't need Hashem to freak us out into observing his law. That's what Paul is talking about. Let's start with Galatians, because that seems to be everyone's uh, from the anti-Semites, that camp. People were like, don't be Jewish and don't be under that Jewish stuff and don't trample the blood of Messiah underfoot. Everyone goes straight for Galatians. They're just like, yeah, let's do it. And if they don't do that, they go to Romans. If they don't do that, they go to Acts chapter 10. And if they don't do that, they go to Mark 7, you know, all this ridiculous stuff. But anyway, so let's just read. Galatians 4, 21, which, by the way, is a whole midrash that Shaul is bringing down uh, about children of Hagar versus children of Sarah. He's saying, don't be like Hagar, who was the slave. He gave forth Ishmael, but be like Sarah, who was the free woman who gave forth Isaac. Why? Well, if you study the Torah portion of Vaera. Namely, in Genesis 18 through 22, you'll find out why is that important? Because the way that Isaac was born versus the way that Ishmael was born, Isaac was born by the spirit. Ishmael was born by law, like natural law. And in Romans, I'm just cutting all the chases right now. I'm going straight to the point. 
I could give you the sources for all this, but I'm just going to tell it straight to you. In Romans, Paul tells us that there is another law at work in us. It's the law of the flesh, which is all of its sinful desires that lead us to be against the will of God and to do things that are leading to death. So there is another law that's at work in us. And then there's the law of God, which is spiritual, which he gets into in that next chapter. So when you put those two chapters together, people say, oh, you're not under the law. It's like, okay, first of all, can we clarify which one? Second of all, we're under grace, which is a part of the law. Anyway, we talked about that with the law came through Moses, but grace came through Mashiach, but Moses brought Mashiach. So there's that. Anyway, so you have to be basically children who are born of supernatural means, because in order for Isaac to be born, Sarah was restored back to her youth by the spirit of God. And she was likened to a young woman. And the way that Isaac was born was by the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon Sarah to give conception to Isaac so that he could be born. So just something to think about as we're reading this. But anyway, that all that information aside, pretend like you don't know that for a moment and just read this with what we're talking about, not being under the law and being under grace. Starting in verse 21 of chapter four of the letter of Galatia, it says, so tell me, you who want to be under Torah, don't you understand the Torah? For it is written. Okay, stop. So he's like, so you want to be under Torah? Well, listen what the Torah says. <laughs> it's just like, wait. So are we supposed to be under the Torah or are we not? Because if we're not under the Torah, then we shouldn't read the Torah. But yet you're saying we want to be under the Torah, so we need to understand the Torah. Hmm. Right? See how this is easily confused? But anyway, so he says, let's start over. Tell me, you who want to be under the Torah, don't you understand the Torah? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. One by the slave woman and one by the free woman. Slave woman, Hagar, free woman, Sarah. But the one, the slave, the son by, wow. But the but one, the son by the slave woman was born naturally. I.e., do you have a Jewish mother? Okay, you're Jewish. That's great. All right, cool. You don't have a Jewish mother? You can never be a part of the covenant. Go be a Noahide. Go do pagan stuff. It's fine. Or go be a Christian. That's totally fine. Okay, that's called natural born. Messiah in John 3 goes into how we need to be born of the spirit, born from above. Which, by the way, it says that Sarah is the one who's Jerusalem from above, which means we need to be born of Sarah, which is what Paul is getting into. We need to be born from above, born from Sarah, born from the free woman, not born from the natural can't go back into your mother's womb to be born again, Nicodemus. Okay, John 3, remember that? All right, anyway, anyway, so says, while the other son, the son born by the free woman was through the promise. This one time God promised Abraham, you will give birth to a son. And God didn't say how he was going to give birth to a son, but he said, you will give birth to a son. Which is important to note, as we are believers, Bezrat Hashem, uh, 
you know, all of us striving with Hashem and our relationship connection to Him, entering into covenant and all that good stuff, being observant and all that good stuff, studying the Bible. Yeah, <clears throat> being Jewish. So all of us should uh, know that the how we were born is quite interesting because it's not done by the hands of man. It's literally by the spirit of God. It's called being born of the spirit. <clears throat> there is no way by our natural own inclination that we in our right mind would go against the desires and deeds of our flesh for the sake of serving and worshiping Hashem and living lives devoted to him. That, my friends, is called supernatural power. Anyway, because if not, uh, I can just go chill on the couch and watch football games and never pray and never read the Bible and do what I want, when I want, however I want, eating what I want, celebrating what I want. But because I love God and I've been born of the Spirit, uh, I don't do those things. Or at least in that fashion where I'm just kind of like, yeah, whatever, God, I don't want your word. Anyway, because um, nothing wrong with sitting on the couch, nothing wrong with watching football games. But if you're doing that at the expense of being devoted to God, because there is a godly way to do those things. Did you know that? Did you know you can be just as spiritual and just as godly sitting on the couch watching a football game? Yeah, should probably look into a Jewish observant life centered in Messiah Yeshua, i.e. it's called being a Lapid. Anyway, but we don't have time for that. It says, uh, at least explaining all that information. You can learn all that. It's it's available. It's good. It's beautiful. Brugashim. But for now, it says, now these things are being treated allegorically for these are two covenants. One is from Sinai, giving birth to slavery. This is Hagar. So remember the time, the Montan Torah, thunder, lightning, freak out. You observe this Torah. If not, you're going to die here. Okay, Hagar. So he's not saying that the Torah is like all this kind of stuff, but as an allegory for the sake of illustrating a principle, let's look at it that way. So think of that as Hagar. Okay. This is just natural. It's not, I mean, listen, Hashem is staring you in the face. Is it really by faith that you're going to like believe in him now? Because like you see everything, you hear everything. You're freaked out. You're dying. You're resurrecting. I mean, it's kind of like, okay, but come over here to the other side. It says, but Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery along with her children. Because, by the way, during this time, Jerusalem's overrun by Rome and Sadducees, people who don't want to do the Torah and all that kind of stuff. Next, it goes on to say, but Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and shout, who suffer no labor pains. For more are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. That is from Yeshayahu chapter 54, Isaiah 54. It says, now you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, you're children of the promise. But just as that time, or just as at that time, the one born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the Ruach, the spirit, 
So it is now. Did you know that Ishmael just like was ridiculous in his persecuting of Isaac? I mean, it's Sarah was like, he has got to go get him out of here. Get his mama out of here. That, no, he will not inherit with my son. Anyway, here it is right here. Shaul's just going to quote it. He says, because Shaul read the Torah. He says, but what does scripture say? Drive out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, yeah, so he quotes all that. Right. And then he goes on to say, so then brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Next chapter for freedom. Messiah set us free. So stand firm. Do not be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Next verse, since it's probably going to be a hot topic and you think I'm scared, I'm going to read it. It says, listen, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Messiah will be of no benefit to you. Because why? If you let yourself be circumcised, not if you choose to be circumcised, because remember, circumcision is a commandment. If you're going to be circumcised for the sake of fulfilling the commandment versus let yourself be circumcised because someone wants you to be circumcised. And you're not really about that commandment life. You're not really about that life. Messiah is going to be of no benefit to you. Why? Because that would be the equivalent of saying, yeah, sure, I'll marry this woman because all I want to do is wash dishes. So let me just go ahead and wash dishes. It's like, but you didn't propose. You didn't get married. You don't have a, a marriage certificate. So like you're just you're sleeping together, I guess, if she lets you. I know you'll be washing the dishes, but uh I, mean, I don't know. I can't tell you about anything else. That's the equivalent of what Paul is saying here. You're going to be circumcised because during this time, there was a people, there was a sect of Jews called the circumcision. And all they wanted to do is go around and circumcise people. Devoid of, do you love God? Do you know about his word? Do you want to be Jewish? Do you want to immerse in a mikvah? Like, you know, the same stuff that Abraham asked people. These people didn't ask that. They was just like, all right, bring them in here. Drop your pants. Let's go. And it's just like, whoa, whoa. You don't even know my name. I don't have to know your name. I can call you circumcised number two, circumcised number 304, circumcised number 702. Because that's how many people I've circumcised today. 702 people. Oh, I'm bringing in the kingdom. I'm winning souls. I'm saving people. Hallelujah. Okay. That's the type of people Shaul was talking about. Those people really did exist. Crazy as that is. But again, that is flawed because, you know, people can go, well, Joseph circumcised the Egyptians. But let's go back to Joseph. Who in the world was Joseph? <laughs> I mean, come on. You think Joseph just wanted to just go circumcise people and just be like, look, I can circumcise you or you could die. Like, I mean, take your option. Because understanding that Joseph was literally the embodiment of Jacob, because it says that Joseph was the son of Jacob's old age. That means he was like Jacob in every way. And Jacob was a man of Torah. I'm pretty sure that Joseph being a man of Torah is going to do things in a very upright way. Because if he's exactly like Jacob, that means he's exactly like Isaac, which means he's exactly like Abraham. 
because that's the way the, the lineage worked. That Isaac was like Abraham. Jacob was like Isaac, who was like Abraham. Joseph was like a Jacob, who was like Isaac, who was like Abraham. And Abraham was like Adam before the sin. Anyway, there's all that to take into account. But you have to study the Torah portions to know this information. I'm just giving you cliff notes. Uh, now, so the free woman... Isaac is different from the covenant at Sinai because why? Because just like we learned in Purim, these people accepted the law of God upon themselves willingly, joyfully. God didn't have a mountain hovered over our head. Uh, we just got saved and delivered from death. And I mean, all this amazing things is happening, but it's all concealed. Literally, uh, Esther means I conceal. If you want to say I conceal myself in Hebrew, you literally say Esther. Like God saying I concealed myself. And by the way, Esther, according to the Kol Hator, is considered to be the Messiah son of Joseph. She's a picture, type and shadow, if you will, of the suffering Messiah. Mordecai is a picture of Messiah, son of David, Mashiach ben David, that is the reigning ruling king. He's a type and shadow of that because Mordecai was set up as a king, basically, uh, after that. Like all the all the esteem and everything that King Akashverosh gave to Mordecai was like super ridiculous. It's like, dude, you might as well just be exalted. Yeah, here it is. And uh, chapter 10, verse 3. Mordecai the Jew was viceroy to King Ahasuerus. Oh, hold up. Second in command? Because remember the last person who was a viceroy? Yes, I'm talking about Joseph. Joseph was a viceroy to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, everything, ghosts, whatever you say, the only thing that separates me and you is the throne. So just like it was with Joseph, so it is with Mordecai. That he is the viceroy to King Ahasuerus. Uh, it says, let's see, found favor with the multitude of his brother, brethren, literally the majority of his brethren. No person can be accepted by all because of the normal tendencies of envy and rivalry. Ibn Ezra, the Talmud says that some of his colleagues on the Sanhedrin parted from him because as a result of his involvement in government, he neglected his study of Torah. So that's Megillah 16b. So they're saying that when Mordecai found favor with the multitude of his brethren, they're saying, well, well, it's the majority of his brother, not like everybody, because that would be weird. He's not Mashiach or anything. When Mashiach is finally revealed in Hashem being revealed simultaneously, all mankind will know the truth and there will be no uh, envying of one another. So Mordecai kind of got there, but not really. So which is why it's under, it's better. I mean, it's greatly understood that he is a type and shadow of Messiah Ben David because he's giving us a picture of the level of esteem and amazingness that's going to happen and all that kind of stuff. So uh, the again about the Torah being accepted under grace, uh, it says that uh, 
everybody like converted and stuff. I'm trying to see where this is at. I know it's in chapter nine. Uh, yeah, here it is. Chapter, I'm going to start in verse 26. It says, therefore they call these days Purim from the word poor. So where did we get the name of the holiday of Purim? Right here in Esther 9.26. So Purim is not pagan. It's actually in the Bible. Uh, footnote on, or commentary on that says, Were it not for the lot from Esther 3.7, when, when Haman cast lots, it says, Haman would have executed his plot immediately. The lot delayed Haman, thereby affording Mordecai the opportunity to pray and abolish the decree. Thus the poor was, which is the single way to say Purim. So Purim is plural, lots. Poor is lot. And it says the poor was a very central factor in the miracle, and it remains the basis for the holiday's name from the Mayum Loez. Then it says in the rest of this, it says, therefore, because all that was written in this letter, the letter of Mordecai, the Mashiach ben David figure, and because of what they had seen concerning this and what has happened to them, the Jews confirmed and undertook upon themselves. Again, this is 927 now and their posterity and upon all who might join them, i.e. converts without fail to observe these two days in their prescribed manner and their proper time each year. Love, love sources. Shabbat 88a says, the Talmud there derives from these words that although the Jews' first commitment to accept the Torah at Mount Sinai was somewhat flawed, i.e. like Hagar, Hagar, Ishmael, back to Galatians 4, says because it was imposed upon them by the threat of death. Now, everybody say now. After the pouring miracle, they confirmed. It says, Kimu ve Kiblu. It says, Kimu is they confirmed. Kiblu, what they had long before undertaken. Kiblu coming from the word Kabal, which means accept. So they confirmed what they accepted long before. Going on, who might join them, i.e. future Gerim, which is the converts, proselytes. Had Haman, Sika, had Haman succeeded, there would have been no nation for them to join. Matthew 28 would not have existed had it not been for the festival of Purim. Just want to throw that out there. And to say this, the Talmud Megillah 6b derives from here in this verse that the Megillah is to be read every year in the month of Adar just prior to Nisan. Thus, in a leap year, when there are two Adars, we celebrate Purim in the second Adar. Verse 28, remember it and celebrate it. Niskarim ve'na'asim, literally to remember and do from Zakor and Na'aseh. 
says, through the reading of the Megillah, we remember. We celebrate through the other mitzvot, which is the feasting, the gladness, the delicacies, and the gifts. And then it says, these days of Purim should never cease from among the Jews, nor shall their remembrance perish, i.e. they shall not be abolished, just like the Torah shall not be abolished. And it says, from them or their descendants, even if other festivals will be annulled, which they won't, Purim will never be annulled. That's a midrash. It says, also, although other holy books may cease to be read, the reading of the Megillah Esther will never cease. Talmud Yerushalayim, the Jerusalem Talmud, also Rambam, and also Rad Ravad, and also Hilkot Megillah 218. So, talk about an eternal festival. Talk about an eternal acceptance. Talk about not being under the law, but under grace. So, uh, the other thing, what else could we read? I mean, I mean, I feel like that pretty much just solves it. So, why don't we just uh, call it there? And uh, let's see here. A couple of key points just on the way out to take note of. That this upcoming Shabbat this week, that uh, we will have Shabbat Zakor, one of the special Shabbats of the year. On Shabbat Zakor, this is on uh, March the 7th this year. It is literally the Shabbat before Purim. Sleekah, we have a special reading that comes from the Zakor, which is the word for remember. It says, in which we are enjoined to remember the deeds of the nation of Amalek, which is the the ancestor of Haman, who sought to destroy the Jewish people. Also, another thing, the daytime on the uh, the 13th of Adar, before we get to the 14th of Adar, from sunrise of the 13th of Adar to sunset, we have the fast of Esther. This commemorates that fast in the book of Esther where she fasted for three days. Obviously, we're not that spiritual because, I mean, I I guess we could try it, but uh, it's customary to not do that. (laughs) The the rabbis are smart people. They said, you know what? We're not doing a three-day fast. We're going to do a one-day fast. Making people fast for three days, because when you do a Jewish fast, you don't eat or drink because it comes from the word zone, which is all about cl- the closed mouth. So, yeah, anyway, just for what that's worth, we do uh, a sunrise to sunset fast because that's how holy we are. Anyway, so we fast on that day. And then it says the fast begins approximately an hour before sunrise and lasts till nightfall. If you do what's called halakhic times or zamanim, you can get um, the exact time for when it starts and when it ends. Uh, Just Google it, the zamanim, and you'll need your zip code. Also, before we start pouring, before the 14th of Adar, or on the 14th of Adar, because that happens at sunset when three stars are in the sky. 
that's the time we give our half shekel. So if you can do it during the day on the 13th of Adar, then great. But if not, before you read the Megillah, go ahead and give your half shekel, which is commemorating the half shekel we used to give in the temple times, which paid for all of the sacrifices. So, you know, all the offerings we're supposed to bring for the daily offering morning and afternoon for the the communal holiday offerings, whether it be a new moon or a festival. If you paid your half shekel, all those sacrifices were bought and paid for in full. Interesting. You can pay for all the offerings by just giving a half shekel. Think about that. <laughs> Because the half shekel is considered to be the Jew who's considered to be half a soul. Because the full shekel is the Mashiach or Hashem, the spirit, the word. But half of that is one Jew. The other half is another Jew. Or it's us partnering with Hashem, which makes the shekel complete. Hashem is so great that he doesn't really need us. But like he's just like, you know, I'm willing to make myself half if you'll go in half. So we can go in together, which is what we did at Pesach. You know, we're going to put the blood of lamb on the doorpost. You put the blood of circumcision on the doorpost. So you get circumcised and I'll be circumcised. So, I mean, it's just kind of like, wow. Hashem is like, you, we'll go half in on this. You sacrifice yourself, I'll sacrifice myself. Except I only need you just to do a little bit, but I'm going to sac my sacrificing myself looks like sacrificing all of myself. You, just a little piece. You know, you just a little half shekel, which uh, is uh, the tradition is to give three half denominations, like three give half, give three half dollars or something like that. So any coin that's considered a half. So in America, we have half dollars. So you give three of those, give three half dollars. And it says you could give that to charity. And at our synagogues, our Shalom, we'll have Zadaka boxes. You can put them in there. Uh, and it says to commemorate the half shekel that was contributed uh, as each Jew share during for the communal offerings during the time of the Holy Temple. This custom is usually performed in the synagogue, is done in the afternoon of the fast or before reading the Megillah. So. Uh, there's so much more to really cover on pouring, but just know this is where we need to really just kind of turn up. You know, I, I titled my podcast GC now because it's game changer. We need to change the game. You know, we need to go like a Lam Haba mode, like right now, like the world to come. Like when Mashiach gets here and we pray that soon in our days, you know, what is life going to be like? Obviously, there's going to be so many changes and so many adjustments. But in the meantime, we can already push into that. How? Uh, loving our neighbors, we love ourselves. Remember when Messiah told us that that was like the greatest commandment? Because, you know, it's, it's like the greatest commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So, like... Having this whole thing where we're a chad with one another, you know, like your joy is my joy. My my success is your success. Your success, my success, vice versa. Like all that, you know, avengers, you know, that kind of stuff. Havers, beloved friends to one another, beloved studiers and doers of the word of God. People who are full of Torah, full of prayer, full of acts of loving kindness, you know, 
and speaking about Mashiach at every single possible opportunity, praying Baruch HaBashem Adonai at every possible opportunity, which is blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai. Messiah said, you won't see my face again until you say that. Just really encouraging the whole entire world to uh, to know all of that, you know, and living that light, you know, making converts, you know, giving everyone the opportunity to become Jewish if they want to be. If they don't want to be, then let them be, you know, just they can't say that they, were, they weren't asked. You know, it's kind of like when when you have, you know, extra chocolate cake that you want to share with a Met. Sometimes, you know, it's just like you want to go around, you want to ask, hey, would you like a piece of chocolate cake? And they're like, no. And it's like, okay. Well, when all the chocolate cake's going and everybody's like, the cake was amazing, you can't say you weren't offered a piece. That's how we're supposed to leave this world. No one should be without excuse for not knowing the vibrancy and the amazingness of what it truly means to be in a relationship with Hashem. Living like Abraham and Sarah, like being under grace you know, and, um, having that opportunity. So may everyone be blessed with an amazing Purim. Let your inner child come out. You know, you're going to be dressed up looking super holy because we don't dress like demons and whatnot. And we don't dress like hoochie mamas and hoochie daddies. So, you know, we're going to be looking amazing in our Purim costumes and we're going to have such an amazing time reading Esther. Everybody's going to have accents, you know, at our synagogue. That's what we're going to do anyway. We have the the pirates pouring, like we're dressing up like pirates, you know, but holy pirates. We're going to tacoon pirates. Last year, we tacooned knights. This time, we're going to tacoon the pirates. We're going to turn pirates into people of chesed. Instead of stealing from other ships, we're going to give to other ships. So, amen. But seriously, everyone, have a good time. Be full of Simka. Overflow with living waters. Have the light of Messiah engulf your faces. Be joyous. This is the time to laugh and celebrate and dance and just not even care. You know, like David dancing before the ark. He's like, I will get more undignified than this. Because why? This is a whole nother level. You thought I accepted the Torah at Mount Sinai, even though it was a little forced. This time, no, no, no. You don't understand about my Torah. You don't understand about my Kashrut. You don't understand about my Shabbat. Man, let me tell you, you know, you know what? Not even let me tell you. Let me show you. You can smell what I'm stepping in. Okay. So may everyone be like that for all the Avengers, you know, stay sharp, continue to avenge, continue to just bring so much awesome, amazing Lapid to the world. And, uh, be awesome. And may we all see the Messiah soon in our days. May the resurrection begin, starting with taking down Amalek with the celebration of Purim, getting into Pesach and into Shavuot after we count that Omer and into like all of the amazingness after that. Amen. Amen. May it be so. Hallelujah. Baruch Haba Beshem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher natan lanu Torah temet, Vekaye olam natabetokeinu, Baruch atah Adonai, Noten ha Torah.